Today uh, is Father's Day. So uh, at the end, Kirsten's going to pray. And um, I was in a big crowd recently, and I overheard some guy, a guy who was in his late 20s, and he talked about, he said, uh, my girlfriend and I have talked about a lot of my friends, you know, people my age are thinking this too. You know, I don't think we're going to have kids. He said, um, he said we, I figure it's like 10 grand a year to have a kid. So what we're going to do, we're both going to keep working, and we're going to put that money away, and then we're going to live like we're 20 for the rest of our lives. That's what he said. So to all you fathers out there who decided to be fathers, thank you, you know, because it's something that is really important, and um, we need to celebrate it, you know. Um, I'll talk about this some, but the analytical nature of our culture is always asking, what can we do better? And we've spent our whole lives doing that, and as a parent, you can feel that. Um, most of the time when you think about being a parent, you might think, oh, I ought to do this or I ought to do that. Today's the day not to think about that, dads. Today's the day to think you're there, you're doing it. And so um, something to celebrate. So Kirsten will pray for us at a, um, near the end. We also have Tim and Rebecca Ingalls here. We're going to pray for them at the end as well. Tim and Rebecca, where are you? Okay, over here. So... Um, we're going to pray for you guys as a family, and you can just come up at the end, but don't miss the chance to say hello to them, and then we may see you again, right? You'll be around for a little while, so I'll ask one or two questions of you guys just to kind of catch people up um, to speed, and then it's a real blessing to have you here, so we want to make the most of it. And then also a reminder, we set up another party outside on the blacktop. You have to walk around to do it, but it was a lot of fun last time. We had games going, food going. People were there till what, one or something. You don't have to stay that late. Even if you only had 20 minutes, pop over there and hang out. The best is walking around the front of the building um, and just getting to the other side. Okay, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have been given to be a church here. We ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we sense the joy of having your word, of studying it in a group, of being open to your spirit's movement. Your word is alive, and it's alive in us. And may your spirit move in such a way that we live into the truth presented to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the idea for the summer at least is we're going through Luke. Just going through, we're in chapter 4. We started um, the first half last time and it's um, Isaiah, he stands up and, and Jesus reads it and then he says it's fulfilled in your hearing. And we got about this far and then um, kind of ran out of time. So we're picking it up. It'll be a little carryover from last week, but basically this is the picture. I'm experimenting with the screen here. I want it in front of you. I know it's a lot of words, but it, you can also follow in your own Bible or on the phone, and um, I won't read through it. It's more reference uh, up here for us. So we've got Jesus. This is a big moment. This is a huge, huge moment. Imagine being in that synagogue, small 30 by 30 area. Uh, the, it's pretty normal to read from the scriptures, but this time it feels a little different. Uh, Jesus, who's been sitting there, and just as a reminder, it's a small town, 
500 to 2,000 max. Luke records even, I think it's Luke who records when he goes as a child to the um, temple at age 12 and he astounds the scholars there. And then he comes back to Nazareth and by the way the people respond, I don't know that he shared a whole bunch in synagogue. Certainly not enough to keep them from being surprised that he knew so much. So from age 12 to maybe age 30, he's going to this synagogue like anyone else, sitting down, listening to the scripture. That's what he's doing. So it's his turn to read, and when he reads it, he says, and, and that picture of all eyes fixed on Jesus is one that I want to go back to. Pausing in my life when I read the scriptures and just fixing my eyes on Jesus. And that's what I hope Sunday morning is for you. We pause, we fix our eyes on Jesus, and that's what they did. It was maybe a few seconds of, of silence, and then he said something astounding. He said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of the most significant moments in the history of mankind that he says this. He's making a big claim, and... We, the people respond, and we're going to see how they respond. And I would say there's a potential they saw him claiming to be the Messiah. He also, they may respond later because they think he's claiming to be equal to Elijah. Either way, they don't appreciate it, as you'll see. But at this point, it says um, they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So think about it. Small town, they all probably talked to him. They'd all probably seen him. Uh, any of you who are uh, carpenters in a small area, my uncle is a carpenter in a town of 6,000 up in New Jersey, and he's been there for decades. He's worked on just about, you know, somebody's neighbor's house. You just don't work in a place for decades and not, especially in construction, and not pretty much have everybody know who you are. And he obviously didn't impress them during the workday that they're marveling now. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? So we don't know. Um, Joseph is there when Jesus is in the temple at age 12. It doesn't seem like he's around by the time his public ministry happens. We don't know what happened. But somewhere in there, at least he was around long enough that people saw Jesus as Joseph's son. It could be a positive thing. It could be, hey, didn't he play rec ball right here and now... He was on the Warriors. He was on the bench. But, I mean, he was there. Did you see him? I coached him in rec. It could be that kind of, isn't this Joseph's son? Or it could be more of a negative. Like, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, isn't he, hey, isn't he the guy that fixed your roof last week? Who does he think he is? So it could be one of those. If it's the second one, it's part of what humans do. Um, there was a... There was a this happened in, I think, um, Canada in like Halifax. There was a couple that went um, to, out to eat, and there was, it was a seafood restaurant, and they sat down, and, and I think it was uh, pretty significant. Either the, the, the boyfriend was going to ask her to marry him, something like that. So they got a really nice table right next to the lobster tank. There was no lid on the lobster tank, and the wife-to-be began to get a little nervous about the lobsters. And this was the guy's big moment. 
and he noticed the distraction. So he wasn't worried about the lobsters, but it didn't matter. His wife was, and he was learning that you need to deal with it. You don't just plow on as a husband-to-be when your wife is not locked in on what you're saying because you need to find out what she's thinking. So he asked, which is big, what are you thinking? So I don't like, can we move? No other tables. He calls the waiter over, says she's worried about the lobster. She said, don't worry about it. If any one of those lobsters starts climbing out of the tank, the other ones will grab it and pull it back down. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, humans can be like lobsters. If somebody starts rising up a little bit, like their talent starts moving or their life situation starts improving or whatever it is, sometimes the other humans will pull them down. Not directly, but, uh, you know, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? I, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't that great. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Or, yeah, I don't, that, that, yeah, but, you know, sometimes we'll do that, and it's unfortunate. And that's something as a body of Christ, I'm not saying we're doing that, but we need to be aware that in the world we're in, if anyone's having any kind of success, and, and there is somewhat of a celebration when that lobster gets pulled back into the tank. There's a little bit of rejoicing. We need to be different in the kingdom. We need to be able to let people be better than us and have successes that we don't have and celebrate with them, not be lobsters. So I, I don't know whether they're being lobsters or not, but it's possible they were being lobsters because it sure seemed to act like lobsters in the way they grabbed him later. So um, now, so we move to verse 23, and there's this proverb, if you just didn't heal yourself, I want to point out a couple things. Jesus learned the sayings of the time. Uh, Jesus is the greatest teacher ever, and he knew that humans across time and history don't learn, Not and some of you did. I'm not one of these people that learned well by three-point outlines, but you'll notice he doesn't teach that way. He teaches in sayings and stories. So um, he picks up the sayings of the people, this is one here, and he tells a lot of stories because the way that he is discipling is to tell stories and put them around his audience like hooks on a wall. And then he'll come back and hang a truth on one of those stories. And if you stick with them for months or years, you'll learn 30, 40, 50 stories, but you hang truths on them. And the reason why I think Jesus, when we get to the kingdom parables, he wraps all of those in um, stories is because human beings have almost an unlimited capacity to remember stories. And so even if the listener couldn't get the truth, they could catch the story, they swallow it into their soul, and then 10 years later the Holy Spirit can open up that story and the truth comes out. So Jesus taught with stories and with sayings, and this is a saying. Physician, heal yourself. And it's a little bit of a take on the same thing like if... You um, lived by your mechanic and his car was always broken down. You'd be like, uh, you know, what's up with that? Or so this was like the doctor. If you're sick, it's just not a, it's not a good promotion. Like if you go into the doctor and he's always sick, you know, you just you may not go back. Um, so it's a little take on that. The physician heal yourselves. He knows what they're thinking. And so um, so. He's watching them, you know, he knows they're coming after him, and he's getting ready. And then he says, no prophet's accepted within his own country. And so he's setting this, this next phase of the conversation is going to get a little intense, and he's letting them know he's ready for it. 
All right, so now he starts into some stories. And these ones, you can look if you want. I don't jump around too much with um, the passages just because I think that gets a little confusing. But in this case, where if you want to, you can move back into Kings if you're following in your own Bible. Because we'll be in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 5. So he starts off with this idea, um, and he talks about many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But when heaven was shut up for three years and six months, great famine, and he sent to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And it's a long way away, say 80-mile walk. If you remember Elijah, he announces there's going to be no rain. And then he hides by a brook for a while, and he gets fed by the birds. And then after that starts to dry up, then God asks him to do something else. Now, let me just say, if I were Elijah, I probably would not have had enough character to do what he did. I mean, he's been hanging out by this stream that's drying up for a long time. So if that were me, I'd be ready for like a weekend away or like some kind of buffet or something a little bit rewarding for doing that. But instead, God says to him, I need you to go for a walk. And he walks 80 miles. We don't know how long it took him. And he gets there, and his plan is to ask this obviously very poor woman for a meal. Just put yourself in Elijah's spot. You might be thinking, is, is this really it, God? I mean, I was hoping for pizza or something, and I'm going to take half of this last bit of this woman's food, which is what he asked for, and you may remember the phrase. She said, well, I was about to make one more meal um, for my son and I, and then we're going to die. So what might you be thinking as Elijah? I mean, you're going to stay for a week? It doesn't seem too great, but he does it. And the significance of it might have been, you got to think, why would Jesus bring this up? And I want to point out a couple principles. One, Jesus learned the scripture. He took time to learn the scripture. That's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do in the kingdom kids. That's what we're going to focus on. Because if it was important enough to Jesus to learn these stories, it's important enough for me to learn them. And also, Jesus draws truths out of that. And he's trying to point out a few things, I believe. One, that sometimes God works in obscure ways. And that's what's happening. He's saying, look, there was a bunch of widows in Israel. He goes all the way over to Sidon. And if you remember, the arch enemy that he has to uh, face is Jezebel. Jezebel's from that area. And Zarephath apparently was where they made the idols. So you're talking about like the heart of heathen religion. And that's where God sends him. And this woman is from there. So it also shows you that God doesn't give up on people. It shows you that we have a God of, that cares about the world. God so loved the world, but he also cares about individuals enough to send Elijah, one of the most significant prophets, all the way to this one woman. So, so she would have been on the low part of the human scale. And probably not today, but at some point in my teaching, we're going to talk about the human scale. And because we're in a middle school cafeteria, it's a great place to do it. Because this is where, remember last week I talked about the marijuana joints and taking hits for Brains Body Bank? Right here is where you find out, comparatively, how you stack up against the rest of the culture in Brains Body Bank. Right in this room. 
You come out of there, you got your tray, where do you sit? Which table? It all has to do with the human scale and the human budding order. This woman's on the bottom. The next one talks about uh, Naaman. Naaman's on the top. He's a commander in the Syrian army. He is the top, and Elisha's the one that heals him. But if you remember, he comes to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. And then he tells him just to go wash in the river. And Naaman doesn't take it very well. He's offended. Like, oh, look at me. This guy doesn't come out. Elisha was teaching him, and God through Elisha was teaching him how to be humble. Because that was his problem. So the woman, the widow, she came out of this cafeteria through there with her tray and looked for some table on the edge of everything to sit in. Naaman came out, and he chose where he wanted to sit. And he sat at the top table. And God, Jesus, I believe, is showing that the gospel that he's about to present is for everybody. Top of the scale, bottom of the scale. He cares about individuals, whether they're at the least popular table or, or at the most popular table. This is going to be a message, a Messiah and a message for all. And I think that's what he's getting at in bringing up these two examples. So, next one. Um, so, when they heard it, they weren't uh, happy. They're filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill where they might throw him over the cliff. Okay, you might miss that. So, uh, Stuart, can you stand up? Um, don't feel bad for Stuart. One, he's not nervous because he doesn't get nervous in front of people. And two, I'm going to make him nervous for five minutes. He made me nervous two hours every Sunday for over a decade. So do not feel bad. Stuart, we played football in Peaksview Park. Eric Laughlin, quarterback's one team. About where would you stand? Stand back there a little bit. For two hours, I quarterback the other team. Would you want to block him? <laughs> so he is fast. He's athletic. He's playing rugby at Lynchburg. He's got cleats on, which I saw too much of. And he stands, well, how far from me? That's about right. What do you count to, Stuart? When we're, he counts to five. And then he starts running right at me while I look around for someone to pass to, okay? So there's a scene in War and Peace where Andre, Prince Andre, gets his moment. And he charges Napoleon with this banner. And then he gets hit by a shell and he's knocked on his back. And he has all these observations from the sky. Stuart helped me understand War and Peace because I got lots of views of the sky from... Peaksview Park. Now, I did get away sometimes. Yeah, about how often did I get away? Out of 10. More times than not. Now, imagine, because I would back up, just so you know, I, my mind can calculate exactly how fast this man moves and whether it's worth the risk for me to lean into a throw or not. Because if I want to see the sky, I got to keep it in mind. I would back up. Now, Imagine I am this close to Stuart. Come closer in case. And then uh, what are my odds of getting away from you right now? Probably not good. Imagine, grab my arm. Grab, imagine he's got that. What are my odds? Zero. Imagine a bunch of other guys like Stuart holding on to me. Okay, you can let go. That's about as close <laughs> as I, I like being this far from him. Thanks, Stuart. All right. So... Um, 
Jesus was in that kind of situation. Let's not miss the fact that he escapes, you know. Let's not miss this miracle that he escapes. So um, then he goes down to Capernaum, and, um, and I also want you to think, you know, Jesus escapes and he walks away, but think of what that might have felt like for him looking back, you know. I mean, he had to be looking back and think, that was unpleasant. At the sad at the most. I mean, these are people, I stayed late to fix their roofs, I, I chatted with them, and look what they tried to kill me. That's what happened, you know. So he goes down to Capernaum, and they again are, oh, sorry, I didn't switch. Um, they, uh, they again are astonished at his teaching. You see verse 32. And then he runs into the demon um, situation. And I think for these kind of topics, I think just for the sake of the audience, know that um, I'm not going to give examples. Uh, I, there are believers that I know that would say this kind of thing doesn't happen today. I'm not in that camp. Um, I know that the name of Jesus is sufficient, and I've been in these situations myself. So at least I want to throw out to you. If you're dealing with that, come talk to us, but I'm not going to teach on it. Just note that, um, that Jesus has the power. In verse 34, they said... Um, you know, leave us alone. What have you to do with, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? So that's his authority. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So they know what's going on, even if the people in his hometown don't know who he is. The realms, the spirit realm knows who he is. So um, he casts him out in this next little passage, and he says, be quiet. Now, think for yourself, um, why would Jesus tell him to be quiet because this is the truth that the demon is speaking. It's true. He's the Holy One of Israel. He does have the power to destroy. He's demonstrating his authority and power publicly, but he does not want them to be the ones to express it. He doesn't want them to be the ones to say it. Um, later, when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, he says, blessed are you. So I I think he wants certain people, and he doesn't want the demons to be the ones to get to say it. So just remember, if you're in a situation facing the darkness, that 1 John 4, 4 says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We do not need to be afraid of this. We do not. We need to be wise, but we do not need to be afraid. All right. Sorry, we're losing a little zip here. There we go. All right. So, next phase, he goes in, and I want you to think about the people involved here. We don't know exactly, um, we know that the disciples come into the picture, they're following Jesus, they're around him for a while. Uh, Peter has a mother-in-law, so what obvious thing does Peter, a person does also Peter have in his life? A wife, okay? So, think about this for a while, what's about to happen or what may have already started to happen your husband has a good job. They've got a family business. He's a little impulsive, but so far, he's been working. And he seems to keep wanting working, keep working. And then he meets this guy that used to be a carpenter that starts walking around and talking about the scriptures. At first, you might be thinking as a wife, hey, he's a good guy for him to hang around. Probably doesn't cuss too much, you know? Probably a good guy. But then, over time, he stops working, and he's walking around. So, at some point, 
she probably talked to her mom about it. Or her mom said, hey, where's Peter? Is he working? No, he's walking. Well, how long is that going to go on? I don't know. So uh, how's that going to work? He's just walking around and pops in every now and again. I mean, think about it. These are people. We're also going to talk a little bit about Jesus' brothers. Imagine what it was like to have a business in Nazareth, the family business, the day after everyone tries to throw your brother off the cliff. Hey, I'm here to fix your roof. Right. You know, think about it. These are real people in this. So the mother-in-law is in bed. We don't know. She could have been super positive for Peter. like, Peter's great. I'm glad he's walking around. Or she could have been, what? I'll have a talk with him. He needs to get back on that boat. Either way, she's sick. So she's laying um, in her bed, and, uh, and so something neat happens. You know, Jesus goes in, and again, he rebukes the uh, fever, and it leaves her, and immediately she rises and serves them. So I want to look at that rises and serves thing. As humans, things put us flat on our back sometimes. There's a couple things that put you flat on your back. One of them is sickness, and I know some of you have been through that. Sickness lays you flat on your back. Um, it may be a short sickness or a long sickness, and you're just laying there. Those of us who are not sick and not suffering, it's helpful if we act like Jesus and come to where people are and stand over them, pray for them, be with them. There's other things that can leave you flat on your back, which is you're just trying to live life like I am at Peaksview Park, trying to play catch with my son, and Stuart knocks me to the ground. So that may be you just trying to get to wherever you're going, and the transmission goes out in your car. Or like me, you had to get root canals in May. You know, it's just, oh, come on. It, it's stuff of life. I'm just trying to be a dad here. I'm, I'm, and, I, and things happen. I mean, you may have felt that way when stuff like that, just stuff of life happens to you. You reach, hit normal interference. That's another thing that could drop you on your back. A third kind that could drop you on your back is like Prince Andre in War and Peace. You know, he was, if you know the character, he's very philosophical and he's thinking through everything and he finally gets his chance to grab his regiment's banner and charge Napoleon. It's the high point of his life. He's just going and all of a sudden he's flat on his back. Well, maybe you've tried to serve the Lord in a certain way and you have jumped into a ministry need and you have run at it and you got shot down or it clearly fell through and that may still have you flat on your back that maybe people didn't recognize what you had or the door closed or you sacrificed everything and it didn't work out, that's another time we need to come before the Lord and have him heal us so we can get back up. We don't want to stay there looking at the sky. Life's too short for that. And we need to meet and fix our eyes on Jesus in those moments as well. And if you are in any one of those three situations, it helps to be in Christian community so that people can get around you and pray for you and lift you back up. Our prayer team's back in the straight back now. If, you want, if you're in any of those spots today, we want to pray for you today. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. We're trying to serve the Lord. So um, I'm going to close us there. And uh, so that we can move on to the other stuff that we're going to do. So let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would guide us as people, 
as we establish a, a new rhythm of life here, may we be the kind of community that focuses on your word, that understands that your word is food for us, and we need to meditate on it, we need to memorize it, we need to ask your spirit to teach us, we need to talk about it with one another. Lord, may we be the kind of place where people can come and celebrate and, and celebrate the successes that are going on and that we wouldn't be like the lobsters and shoot them down, Lord. I know how humans can be. I, a couple gets a new house and they're excited and somebody older says, well, did you check the basement for mildew or be sure to go out and make sure that whatever's happening or check it? And we just take the fun away from everything sometimes. So may we learn how to celebrate with those who celebrate and mourn with those who mourn. Lord, may we learn how, and well, not learn how, but continue to rally around those who are on their backs and stand with them and pray with them and encourage them. And then also as a group, may we stand up and serve. May we come into this body asking you, Lord, how can I serve? The church is your plan through the ages. And we get a new chance here. There's a lot ahead of us. And I pray that you would guide us as a body, that we would stand up, that we would step in, that we would serve, and that we would seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.